This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Angel City Cab Company. You'll love our little talks. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, it's just normal dudes taking on demons. Yes. With 1986's Rawhead Rex and 2005's Constantine. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. Okay. In what decade is 2009's The House of the Devil set? The 70s. The 80s. The House of the Devil? Yes. She, da- she dances around to One Thing Leads to Another by The Fix. I don't remember that at all. When we talked about that movie, we talked about how exci- like how much you loved that scene. Yeah, no, I just I don't remember what song it was. <laughs> she totally wears 80s clothes. 80s cars. Yeah, but the filming is all done like it's the 70s. It could even it could even be the 60s. Like the cinematography, the film grain, the the fucking copyright information at the very beginning on the title card. These are not 80s things. These are 70s things. I think I hate this movie now. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of the Swiss surrealist painter? who designed the titular creature in Alien, 1979. No idea. He draws everything to look like a penis or a vagina? Nope. That's why the alien has a penis head? Nope. H.R. Geiger. Cool. Did you know that he once designed the Batmobile? Nope. They didn't use it because it basically just looked like four penises in an (laughs) X shape. (laughs) But what did they expect? (laughs) It's H.R. Geiger. This is what he's known for. All right, moving on to 1986's Rawhead Rex, written by Clive Barker, directed by George Pavlo, and starring David Dukes, Kelly Piper, and Hugh O'Connor. What is Rawhead Rex about? So he's an American professor of, I think, anthropology. Something like that, yeah. Where he studies cultures, mm-hmm. ancient cultures. And he is in Ireland looking for, he says, places of modern worship, so like Christianity, etc. etc. that have been placed on top of Neolithic pagan worshiping areas. Yes. Like looking at the contrast and the juxtaposition and figuring out just why Christianity decided to put their places of worship yeah. where pagans used to worship. Can't uh-huh. imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so he does that and he goes to a, a church that's been placed on top of a pagan worship area and some pagan shit happens. <laughs> a demon is resurrected. I think we can say that. <laughs> Yes, a, a demon is resurrected. From yeah, the a demon whose name is legitimately Rawhead. And it makes no sense when you think about that because this is an ancient civilization. I, I, I what it probably what they probably mean 
not that the words rawhead were used, but that whatever translates into rawhead. Well, uh, what I would uh, now that I think about it, what it's legitimately supposed to mean is that his face looks like pounded in raw meat, and so these pagans called him rawhead Rex. Okay. And it doesn't really either is the other thing. And they never really address it. Why he doesn't look like that? Yeah. And why his name is that. Oh, Clive Barker has lots to say. Yeah, we'll talk about, about Clive that. Barker's opinions on this movie <laughs> in a little bit. Should people watch it? I thought it was fun. It's not a great movie. It's fun. I don't know. If it's on, I would watch it. I wouldn't go looking for it. <laughs> no, it, it's not like the content is revolting in a way that like ew I don't want to watch this but there there's not a lot about it that makes me go yes this is awesome aside no, yeah. from aside from maybe the like oh this is really bad in an entertaining sort of way yeah yeah so there's that to it like i had fun watching it but i i probably will never watch it again <laughs> And who recommended this one, Kelsey? Oh, yes. This is recommended to us from Brian. So thank you, Brian. From yes. Way back when. Hey, really you know what? It. We loved Fright Night. <laughs> well, we already loved Fright Night is the thing. Yeah, but we didn't like the new one. And then when we rewatched it, we yeah. enjoyed it a lot more than the first time. True, true, true. So thank you very much, Brian. You can take our advice or leave it, the rest of you. And when we get back, we will talk about 1986's Rawhead. Rex. What I saw wasn't human. Oh my god! It was very tall. And what's more, it saw me. This thing. All right, Kelsey, before we get started, can I just say, oh man, that papyrus font in the opening credits. And the music. (laughs) Yes, the papyrus font is pretty funny. It's very 80s. But the music is just like really ramped up and nothing is happening in the beginning. uh Nothing happens. (laughs) So we have David Dukes. He's exploring through the Irish countryside, looking for these sites. And he's and, driving on those one-car-wide oh, streets that we've driven which, on. Yes, which I, let's be clear, which <laughs> I have driven on. You were in the passenger seat. <laughs> and it's like this epic sort of music. And nothing is happening. Like, almost like the psycho theme with its, like, perpetual sort of, like, oh, this pulls you along. Yeah. Nothing is, he's just driving on the streets and nothing is happening. It's an odd, odd choice, which I guess is supposed to make you nervous. And then he just parks and gets out of his car and walks slowly up to a, just a random church. Like, it's like it was leading somewhere and then just he parks. Meanwhile, Irishmen are trying to get. A gigantic pole stump stick thing. Okay, so it's it's a bunch of men who are clearing land on a farm. And there is this 
pillar. Like a monolith almost. Yeah, and they're just trying to dig it up. And nobody's like, hey, should we call the nearby university to find out what this is or anything like that? No, we're just going to dig this shit right up. It might have cultural significance. It might be a thousand years old. Nope, dig it up. And in the process, dude gets struck by lightning and Rawhead Rex is revitalized. So let's talk a little bit about Rawhead Rex. He's supposed to be like nine feet tall. Clive Barker described him as a walking phallus with teeth. Because Clive Barker is nothing if not consistent. (laughs) And this was all designed as sort of a sexy horror, but not in like sex in like a good way. A good way. Sex in like, you know, he's basically almost like an H.R. Geiger way where it's like violence. Bashing on men, like Yes. He he's basically saying men are dicks. And yeah. women need to mm-hmm. need to knock that shit down. Yeah, men might as well be monster penises. Yes. And, okay, so he was really upset when Rex didn't turn out the way that he envisioned it. And you cannot blame him. This is probably the worst monster we've seen on this show. Maybe. So far, this is the worst looking monster I've seen. So he's just some bodybuilder dude in a suit which for some reason, even though he's a pagan demon god thing, is wearing like torn biker leathers and shoulder pads and stuff like that. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. It looks kind of like the Super Shredder from TMNT 2, The Secret of the Absolutely, absolutely. It's a Super Shredder! But tell them the worst part. His eyes. The mask... Could not be worse. Oh, like, it's I don't think awful. it's possible for it to be worse. So it has a giant head <laughs> that sticks out forward. So obviously there are mechanisms in front of the actor's face. But they do practically nothing. Yeah, they it control the eyes a little move. bit. The mouth kind of twitches, but it doesn't actually open and close. So when he needs to like bite people and things, they just need to like bury his face in the in the uh, victim and then just kind of angle it in a certain way where you can't tell it's not actually doing anything. I mean, it's to the point where, like, when he's running after somebody, he's not even looking at the thing he's he's running after. Yeah. Like, that's how and poorly this thing can move. <laughs> yeah, but, but, like, the eyes. Tell them about the eyes. Okay, so everything goes back to this stained glass window that's in the church that... Howard Hollenbeck, played by David Dukes. If you remember, David Dukes was the jerkhead professor in Rose Red when we watched that one. The one who passed away before the end of the the filming of Rose Red, yeah. And he is legitimately the best thing about this movie, by the way. He's fantastic. He really gives it his all. (laughs) But anyway, he goes into this church and he sees the stained glass window and there's like... A robed being holding something up that we can't tell. It's like glowing in the light or something. And it's it's destroying this demon, which is supposed to be Rawhead Rex. And it has these red eyes. Now, why a pagan picture is being immortalized in stained glass on a church, Catholic yeah. church, I don't understand. And we find out later destroyed and rebuilt multiple times. But anyway, the light shines through and... It comes through just the eyes. And so the eyes send these like two red laser things looking at Declan O'Brien, who works at this church. And anyway, that is supposed to be Rawhead Rex. And he has these red piercing eyes. 
And so when we see it, it's just these red sort of circles. And they make them look- With, like, giant, like, bug eyes that go in different directions. Yeah, they make them look a little, at times wall-eyed, at times cross-eyed. It's like- It had to be a choice. It had to be. You can't tell me they looked at that footage and thought, that looks good. Like, they they had to have been like, I want his eyes to be looking in opposite directions. (laughs) Yeah, it was not. It's insanely bad. Yeah. Like, I can't wrap my mind around it. And I mean, if it weren't for his face, if he was, like, just a tall, lurking monster and, like, we saw him always in the distance. Oh, this movie would have been a lot better. It would have been so much better. Yeah. But they love that mask. They love showing you that mask. They put it directly on screen way too many times. And it's funny when you just like kind of see him in the back, like up on a hill, just kind of looking at you. It's kind of silly looking. Oh, it's very silly. Yeah. It's bad. Anyway, David Dukes, Howard Hollenbeck, talks to Declan O'Brien, who refers him to Reverend Coot. And he makes a joke about how is he old? Yeah. Get it? Because an old coot and waka waka. <laughs> uh, so he goes and he talks to the reverend because they had talked previously about maybe looking through the records of the church and that kind of stuff. And meanwhile, Declan O'Brien, in a trance, goes up to the altar, puts his hands on it, burns his hands, but he can't take them away. And he goes crazy as a result. From here on out, Declan is a bad guy working for Rawhead Rex. Yes, he sees through the eyes of Rawhead Rex. And Mm -hmm. Rex has a way of basically, like, entrancing people. Not really turning them into mindless zombies, but they're basically, like, his slaves. Yeah. So he's going to be trying to undermine the church and Howard throughout the rest of this movie. And Howard and Coot agree that he can look through the records of this church, of the parish, which is the area that the church serves. They'll have to look for them because they're not where they normally are. But that's because Declan hid them. (laughs) Anyway, so then we see what happens with Rawhead Rex first, where he goes. He goes to this home of this uh, Irish man and his pregnant wife, and he attacks them. Kills the dude, drags away his body, but when he gets to the woman, the pregnant woman, he is compelled to stop for some reason. He reaches out to her, she's screaming, his hand goes towards her her pregnant belly, and then he turns and leaves without actually killing her. But she's gone crazy. Yes, yes, she also goes kind of crazy. And then he also stumbles upon a trailer park. So dude's trying to make out with his girlfriend, but one of their little brothers, it's never clear. One of them has a little brother there and he's being annoying. So they leave him in the trailer and then they go out into the woods to maybe make out. And they somehow lock him inside there from the outside. So they come across the dead body of the man that... Rex previously Yeah, because he, killed. like, drags him for forever and then, like, hangs him up by his feet and yeah. then is, like, eating his stomach. Something like that. And so yeah. they scream and run away, holding hands, and as they're running, Rawhead pops out and the girl doesn't notice, 
but he stops the boy. Is she still holding his hand? And and she comes running up to this trailer park where everyone's now gathered, trying to find out what happened to this little boy who's freaking out because he saw the monster up on a hill. And she comes running up and she's like, we saw something. We saw something. And they're like, you saw something too? Yeah, me and... Ah, pulls up and she's holding the severed hand of her boyfriend. <laughs> and so everyone uh, freaks out. So cut to the church again and Howard's come back. And this is where it's revealed that the parish records are gone. They don't know where they are. As he's taking photos of this stained glass window, which says, Mors gratitur metuens quid ipsa numquam fieri posit. Which Google Translate translates to, fearful of what he himself will never be able to creep, going to become a death. Uh, (laughs) The movie translates as, death goes in fear of what it cannot be. Which is a hint about the weakness of Rawhead Rex. Because he is death personified. He will never be the creation of life. Which is why he cannot kill the pregnant woman. But she represents life. Yes, exactly. So life is going to be in opposition to Rawhead Rex, who represents death. And that will become important later on in the movie. But Declan breaks his camera and they get into a fight and it's really weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they decide to move on. And him and his wife, he's there... We never mentioned this. Howard is there with his wife and his two kids, his son and his daughter, and they're spending months in Ireland doing all this research for him. And they're just going to move on to the next place because it's a dead end here. And so they drive on and his daughter has to pee. And he has seen Rawhead Rex up on a hill. Yeah, he was out smoking a cigarette in the woods and he sees him like on this hill. But then when he he drops something and then when he looks back up, Rawhead Rex isn't there. So it's kind of like this. Did I imagine that? Was it really yeah. there? But then he reads in the papers or or sees in the news or something like that, that there are these murders going on and there people are describing this monster. And so he goes to the police and he's like, yes, I saw this. And the police are like, whatever, buddy, uh, jerk off motion. And then they send him away and they don't believe him. And one of the detectives is like, should we investigate? And the lead detective's like, nope, fuck that. Mm-hmm. We're not doing it. And so... So they leave. They leave, and they're driving away. Uh, The girl has to pee, so they find a field, and he sends her behind the bushes. Yeah, which, by the way, the mom originally wanted to send her out by herself. Yeah. And she's like five. Yeah, whatever. She She needs to be able to to, to do things on her own. She needs to grow up. Yeah. At five? In a strange place where you're going to pee on someone else's property? Your daughter out there to pee. I mean, Uh she'd have to take off her pants. And, like, all by yourself into a stranger's... Yeah, this mom is ridiculous. God. So... You're the reason that children get abducted. The dad is like, hold on, I'll take her out there. And so he takes her out there and he's like, okay, go behind those bushes. And she does. And then she screams. And so the mom and the dad run out there... And, and the, they find the son just like, ugh, and he just keeps reading his book. He's just reading his Secret Wars comic book. <laughs> and... They find there's a dead rabbit, and that's what it's about. And the mother is consoling the daughter over the dead rabbit. Oh, see, it's not, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, it's natural. 
Meanwhile, the dad keeps looking back at the car where her son is, and it's like, no, nah, he's he's okay, and turns back. And then he looks again, and he sees Rawhead Rex's head popping up from behind the car. And oh my god, Rawhead Rex is trying to grab the son. Rawhead Rex is enormous. Yes. And could very easily grab this kid. Yes. The kid is barely trying to get away. And Rawhead Rex has to pretend like he can't grab him. So he just, it's like he's petting the kid. Yes, uh-huh. It looks god-awful. Why would you keep that? Why would you keep that shot? It looks ridiculous. Right. And I think it's better that we see it from the father's perspective anyway, where just all of a sudden Rex is there. Mm-hmm. And he runs up to him. Rubber! Rubber! Yeah, that's, that's coming. Rubber! <laughs> That's next. Uh, The kid's name is Robbie. So he runs up and he gets to this gate and he's having trouble squeezing through. And that's when he sees Rawhead Rex bite into his son. And he's like, no. Oh, yeah. His crying is bad. And Rex drags Robbie into the forest and he comes shouting after him like. Robbie! Robbie! So his son is dead. And they got to go to the cops. And finally, there's enough corroboration to his story that the cops believe right, him. Right, because the kid who is mute, the kid from the trailer park who's mute after having seen Rex, he won't talk, but he will draw. They give him something to occupy his mind. And he draws a picture that matches Howard's description. And so the police are like, oh, Maybe there's something actually going on here. (laughs) So, yeah, there is this corroboration. So they're going to try to hunt this thing down. And so they send out a bunch of crews to go hunt it down. Howard is like, you guys are ineffectual. Nothing's getting done. I'm tracking this fucking raw head down myself. He goes back to the church. And he's talking to Coot, and Coot's like, yeah, you know, these stained glass windows, they've been destroyed and remade several times over all the years. So, I mean, we don't even know necessarily they're put back in the same place. And what Howard recognizes is that there are some out-of-place panes of glass. And he finds them throughout the other stained glass windows in the church. And he's trying to put together what it actually is that is used to destroy this demon character and he's trying to figure out there's some sort of weapon, but what is it? Howard leaves after he's taken all of his pictures and Coot touches the altar too. And he has the same visions that Declan does, but he fights against them. He rejects them. Yes. And I love that there's a line here where the priest says it's when it's when he's leaving. And the priest says, Oh, you believe in the devil now? He says, no, I don't. But something started the rumor. Yeah. I'd say that was the devil. But you don't believe in the devil. No, I don't believe in the devil. But something started the rumor. Pretty great line. So on his own, after having seen this weird vision and burning his hand, and he's freaking out, he goes to the back of the church in the cemetery where he finds Declan kneeling in front of Rawhead Rex, and Rex is baptizing him. Kelsey, how is Rex baptizing Declan? By peeing on him. He is peeing on him. And we just see this giant monster in shredded leather, just a urine stream onto Declan's face. And Declan's like, oh, yes, baptize me. Yeah. (laughs) 
I could not, I could not believe what we were watching. <laughs> it was remarkable. So Coot runs away into the basement as Rawhead comes chasing after him and starts destroying everything that he can get to. This is where Coot finds the parish records in the catacombs of the church and some kind of document that shows what Rawhead Rex is. Some sort of, like, artistry of him. And Declan finds Coot and carries him back upstairs to give him over to Rex. During the process of all of this, when investigating the woman, the pregnant woman who's now insane and all of that, the lead inspector has now been hypnotized just like Declan has. And so when the police show up at this church and Rex has Coot and he's all shredded up and bloody, they hesitate to open fire on him. And while they're hesitating, the head detective empties out all this gasoline on the ground everywhere and goes to light it. One police officer sees this happening and is like, no. And then we cut to this shot where it's all the police looking at this demon. And then you just kind of see a guy in the background run. Yes. <laughs> I have that written down. I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> so good. It's so good. He just runs straight through the background and nobody sees it. Right. But it, he doesn't stop him in time. <laughs> And the detective sets everyone on fire. And it's just, everyone is just running. Okay, remember that scene <laughs> in The Devil's Reign where everyone melts for like an hour? <laughs> this is kind of like that, but everyone's just on fire. And it's like, hello, stop, drop, and roll. Yes. And <sighs> all the police, including the detective, just die. Howard makes his way to the church and he finds Coot and Coot tells him when he was destroying the church, he would go nowhere near the altar. So maybe that has something to do well, with- Well, first he thinks that it can't get in the church at all. Yes, but it does, obviously, and it destroys the place, but he cannot get near the altar. And so he tells Howard about this. Howard goes inside, he finds Declan, and Declan is like trying to destroy the whole place. He's setting all the documents on fire and all of that. They fight, and ultimately Howard breaks open the altar and, and finds this weapon that was that he, he found out was like a statue or something when he put together the pieces of the window with his wife. And it is. It is a fertility statue. It's just this sort of rotund... Life. Yeah, this sort of rotund humanoid figure with what's obviously supposed to be a vagina on the front of its stomach. Uh, yes, representing fertility and and life. Declan tells Rawhead that, oh, this dude got, he got into the altar and found the thing, and Rawhead's pissed. But it won't work. Yeah. He's walking towards him, and he's like, come on, time to work, time to work, and it won't do anything. He, he got into the altar. I couldn't stop him, but you can kill him. <laughs> Okay, sweetheart. Let's do it. Okay, do it. Come on. Do it. 
So Rawhead tosses Howard around a little bit and he drops the statue. And out of nowhere. Out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> Howard's wife shows up and she picks up the statue and it suddenly starts working. And they're in the cemetery fighting against Rawhead and he's scared of the statue and the ground starts crumbling from beneath them and he falls in. She almost falls in, but Howard grabs her, at which point she drops the statue into the hole with him. These headstones are falling down on him, crushing him, and they have defeated Rawhead Rex. Cut to the boy who couldn't talk. He is leaving flowers at the older teenager's grave. He's visiting the grave. I think his name was Andy or something like that. And then Rawhead Rex's head just kind of pops up in the foreground and he goes, end of movie. Somebody was a fan of Carrie. What a shitty jump scare ending. It was really bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really bad. Mm-hmm. All right, Kelsey. Lightning round. Tons of things. Okay. Really fast. First of all, when they are trying to get that, I don't even think we really explained this. The giant pillar that those farmers were trying to get out of it, that's what was keeping Rawhead Rex down in the ground. Yeah. So when they were moving it around, it was loosening it up and letting him out. Correct. Um, But did you notice that when they were trying to get it out with rope in a truck, the rope wasn't even taut? No, I didn't notice that. Didn't even look like it was trying at all to get that thing out of the ground. I didn't notice. When we first see Declan, he's he's doing service, but he's not at the altar. Yeah. So that was weird. When we first meet the son, he is sent out by the mother to go and find the father. He says, mom wants to know why you're still taking the damn photographs. And, he, <laughs> and the dad's like, oh, yeah, those damn photographs. And he says, just quoting. What? What's your problem? Mom says it's going to rain. Why don't you stop taking damn photographs? Damn photographs? Just quoting. Oh, just quoting. Uh-huh. And I see. <laughs> Which is really cute. It was a really cute I moment. couldn't believe they straight up murdered that kid, though. Yeah. Clive Barker, however, wanted more of it. Yeah, according to Clive Barker, the book is more about him being a, he eats children specifically. Yeah. But they really only have him kill the kid, the dude's son. Right. And I guess you could count the teenagers. There's another really cute moment with the father and son. And he's like, why do you want to leave? This is the land of your forefathers. And the kid says, yeah, and they left. (laughs) Tell about 10 minutes, okay? He's mad with you. Oh, all right, all right. Just tell her five. Look, I have to see somebody in the church about this site, okay? Then can we go home? I'm bored. Bored? Robbie, how can you be bored? This is the land of your forefathers, remember? Yeah, and they left. Which is cute. Yes. This this movie is not without personality. No, it's fun and it's funny. It's just a shame that just so much of it is god-awful. Yeah. When he is taking pictures around the church, he's taking pictures of stones that have, like, circular designs on them. Yeah. That is a real thing. Mm -hmm. In Ireland, there are a lot of rocks that have that kind of symbol on it. Mm -hmm. And according to what we know, 
They don't really know what it meant Not was meant certain. to symbolize. They have yeah. lots of theories. Yeah. But nobody really knows. But that's a real thing. Ireland uh-huh. has tons of that. We saw that when we went to Newgrange. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. When Rawhead first comes out of the ground, like there's this tons of steam, and the dude just stands there and looks at it. <laughs> like, wouldn't you be terrified? Why wouldn't you run away? Yeah, uh-huh. They're staying at a hotel called the Tall Man, and the picture for this hotel is like a tall shadow, like with long fingers. It totally looks like the Babadook. A little bit, yeah. At one point, our main guy and his wife are walking down the street, and she's telling him, like, I really don't want to be here. I want to go home, blah, blah, blah. And he is like, aw, come here, baby. And, like, they kiss. And it is just full open mouth moaning, yeah. kissing. And I'm just like, Jesus. And as they're doing this, <laughs> this old lady, this old short lady with a red hooded jacket <laughs> walks by. Yeah. And him, excuse me, like totally judging her. Yeah. And they're like, you know, she looks really familiar. As soon as I saw a, a short old woman wearing a red hooded jacket, I immediately thought of Don't Look Now. And when I looked it up, that's what they were trying to emulate was Don't Look Is Now. It? I, that totally makes sense. But I'm like, why? <laughs> I guess because it's a European horror movie with I about guess. Americans? I don't know. Weird little homage that went nowhere. Did you know that they were originally going to cast Peter Mayhew in the role of Rawhead Rex? Do you know who Peter, Peter Mayhew is? I know the name. He is Chewbacca. And he recently passed away, which is unfortunate, but he was too expensive. So according to the director's commentary in the Blu-ray, it was too expensive, but they were going to cast him because he's a really tall dude used to working in these sorts of suits. And they ended up casting some bodybuilder or something like that. But rest in peace, Peter Mayhew. When the teenagers are making out in front of the kid, they like, I guess they must have ADR'd in the sound of them kissing because like it'll make like those... Those sounds when yeah. they're not even touching each other, uh-huh. and it's so awkward. <laughs> Can you imagine the two of them being in the ADR booths where they <laughs> so you see the scene played back for you without <laughs> the audio, and you hear a series of beeps, and what would be the third or fourth beep, I can't remember, that you don't hear anything, and that's when you're supposed to do... This is when you start making the noises that your character's going to make on screen. So they're just in a booth with some headphones on in front of a microphone. They're boop, boop. And then they got to go <laughs> to nothing to ADR this stuff in there. <laughs> At one point before the girl gets out of the car to go pee, they see what they think is like this big hulking dude. And they drive by, and the mom is really scared about it. And the guy's like, should I go back? And it's like, why the fuck would you? Yeah. Because he's already seen Rawhead Rex. Like, he's afraid. (laughs) But the mom convinces them to go back, and it just ends up being a scarecrow. But it's like, that was weird. That was a freaky-looking scarecrow, too, by the way. It is a freaky-looking scarecrow. It's a legitimately (laughs) scary scarecrow. Why is this in this movie? Yeah, I don't know. Just so they can have a scare. When he's inside the church trying to explain to the priest who hasn't gone crazy yet, like, you know. Coot, yeah. Coot, this is a place where they've buried this demon. 
he was like, this is his house. This is Jesus Christ's house. And he's just like, yeah, but it, all, it wasn't always. It wasn't always. Yeah, that's a great line. Please, you're distraught. God damn it. Don't you humor me. Mr. Hallenbeck, this is Christ's house. Wasn't always his, was it? That's really good. At one point, Rawhead, like, takes a woman out of a car. I don't remember why. But while he's doing this, her dress, for some reason, gets ripped off. So it's an interesting thing where there's, like, two couples who are talking to each other in this caravan. And then there's just this random hot chick who is never in any of the same shots <laughs> as these as these couples. And then Rawhead comes by and he starts rocking this, this uh, caravan, this trailer, and knocks it over and they all fall out and then he rips this girl out of the window that's when this happens and yeah her dress gets torn off and she's topless and hanging out but again never in the same shot as the other people so these are obviously pickup shots where they're just like let's get some titties in here yeah basically Mm -hmm. at one point the cops show up and they first see him and one says holy jesus and the other one says christ (laughs) i thought that was funny at one point, somebody says, can I get a cup of tea? And the other person says, how about you go fuck yourself? Yes. <laughs> and that totally reminded me of... It's it's Howard and and the, the officer at the front desk. Oh, that's right. Station. Yes, because mm-hmm. he's he's basically just been told, no, we don't believe you. Uh-huh. And he's like, can I get you a cup of tea? And he goes, how about you go fuck yourself? Yeah. <laughs> oh, in the meantime, can I get you a cup of tea? Why don't you go fuck yourself? <laughs> and it made me think of... Argo, fuck yourself. Argo, fuck yourself. Yes. Uh-huh. And knock, knock. Who's there? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Go fuck yourselves. That one's from the first one is from uh, Argo. Ar- is that what it's called? Yeah, it's from Argo. Yeah. And knock, knock. Joke is from Catch Me If You Can. Yeah. This movie is directly responsible for Clive Barker being more involved in the making of Hellraiser because he thought this was so mismanaged. Again, he envisioned Rawhead Rex as, uh, quote, a nine foot tall phallus with teeth. When he drew a picture for the crew, they're like, (laughs) they laugh and like, it looks like a penis. And he's like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and they're like, okay. And then they develop this Rawhead Rex trying to get away from that whole he's just a penis monster. Which, come on, Clive. That's ridiculous. It's dumb. And it would have also been awful. Okay? Just because they changed from your vision doesn't mean your vision would have been great. It sounds horrible. So, zero confidence that it would have been good. Personally, but, I like the feminist ideas. But it comes out of nowhere. This whole, okay, birth, fertility, femininity thing. I get that whole concept. I understand all of that. But why was the wife there? Wasn't the cop supposed to be looking after her? Where did he go? Where's Minty during all of this? Well, By the, the way, the daughter's name is Minty. <laughs> the book ends very differently. And there's just like one reference where it won't touch a pregnant lady. And they never go any further into that. Like, it's... Kind of just there, but what's their point? They do not explore any in any sort of detail, any message. It's just women are responsible for life and fertility, and this God represents death. And it's just a surface level thing, and that's it. Which is kind of disappointing. It's funny because I found a website that has a bunch of quotes that he has said about Rahel Rex. 
Uh-huh. And it's funny because one of the first ones is when he's only seen a rough cut and he's like, ah, it looks pretty good. Yes. Yeah. He seems fine with it. Right. <laughs> and then a couple months later, he's he's doing another interview and he's like, that movie's pretty bad. And then like a couple years later, he's like, that movie is just plain horrible. <laughs> yes. yes uh huh. And it's it's just it's very funny. I mean, like, I don't care how I described my monster. If that was the monster you gave me, I'd be pissed, too. Yeah. I don't give a shit what I originally envisioned it as. That is a piece of shit monster. <laughs> I, I would be pissed that that's what they did with my book. Yeah. Uh-huh. I can see that. Totally. Even even if my description was that he had big, bulging red eyes and a giant mouth, like, I would be yeah. like, that's how you saw it? Uh-huh. That? Pretty bad, yeah. The part where she's finally getting the stone to work, the special effects are so bad and yet glorious at the same time. It's like a laser light show with like a ghostly (laughs) woman floating around. Yeah. It's hilarious. They're talking about potentially remaking this with Clive Barker doing it, but they're also talking about rebooting Hellraiser. And obviously that'll take precedent. So we'll see. Uh, This has been going on for like a decade now. They've been talking about it. So you know how that goes. All right, Kelsey. What do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? 28. 29. There you go. Out of seven reviews, no Metacritic, no cinema score. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? It's definitely underrated. Yeah. But what should it get, do you think? I was going to give it a 50. It's so funny. That was exactly what I was thinking. Because it made me laugh a lot, but that was certainly not its intention. Right. So even though I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, it was a fun watch. I enjoyed watching it for all the wrong reasons. Right. It was a lot of, (laughs) oh my God, they're showing us the face again. Oh, now they're zooming in on the eyes. (laughs) Why is he a post-apocalyptic biker? It was entertaining, and we had a lot of fun, and David Dukes just acted the hell out of that movie, but it's not a good movie. No. It's not. Brian. Sorry, Brian. We enjoyed watching it. (laughs) I hope, I can't remember if that was your intention or not. Uh, Not to be like, oh, Brian thought it was good. What is he thinking? No, I mean, I don't know (laughs) if his intention was like, like. totally. I don't know if his intention was like. No, this is totally ridiculous. I think you guys should watch it. <laughs> or if it was like, this is a great movie, you should watch it. So I can't say that. I'd have to go back and, and check his original message. But <laughs> we liked it. The former. This is a totally ridiculous movie. We should watch it. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't be averse to seeing it again. Oh, God. But not anytime soon. No. <laughs> no. I think 50 is a good score for that it. That face is burned in my brain. And I think every <laughs> time you would bring it up, I'd just see that face and be like, nope. Totally. Good, totally. I'm good. <laughs> All right, Kelsey, before we move on to the next movie, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. What is the name of the place where Ash works at the end of the theatrical release of 1992's Army of Darkness? Smart. That's correct. Shop smart, shop S-smart. That's right. Shop smart, shop S-smart. Okay, this might be a trick question, so I want you to think about this. Okay. What film in the Halloween series 
was the first to not involve John Carpenter. Can't remember if he did two or not. Talk through it. I can't remember if he did two or not. Uh huh. I know he did three. Yeah. So that tells me that he probably hated two, which means that he probably didn't make two. It's either two or four. This is so not fair. Because after three, I think he was just like, well, fuck you guys. Uh, I'll go with four. It's four. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers from 1988. He was involved with the second one. He didn't direct it like he did the first one, but he did write it. He he did the first one. It was all his. He didn't want to do another sequel, but they were going to do it. So he's like, fine, I'll write it. That way, at least he could have control over that. But then he was like, okay, but the third one we're going to do like I originally wanted to do, which is a different premise every single movie, all centering around some Halloween theme. Three people hated. Nobody wants it. I want it, Carpenter. Nobody wants it, Carpenter. Give it to me, Carpenter. No. Give me. Anyway, nobody wanted it. <laughs> so he just straight up left the franchise. Three is point. awful. I don't I know why love, you like it. I love three. I really don't get it. It's so bad. Starring, I'm going to rip it to shreds this Halloween. Starring somebody <laughs> who's in a movie we watch for next week. So we will get we'll tell you what we're watching next week at the end of this episode. Moving on to another movie where just a dude combats demons. Constantine from 2005, directed by Francis Lawrence, written by. Uh, OK, <laughs> Kevin Broadbent did the story. Kevin Broadbent and Frank A. Capello did the screenplay. But technically, Jamie Delano and Garth Ennis get credit for. The comic book Hellblazer, even though it's not the original appearance of Constantine. Constantine's original appearance was in Swamp Thing by Alan Moore. Alan Moore had a bad experience with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and he just did not like working with Hollywood. And he swore off ever working with Hollywood on adaptations of his works again, which is why he had his name taken off of this movie. It's why his name doesn't appear in... Watchmen and Dave Gibbons does. Who no, is the says, artist? It says cr- based on characters created by, by Alan Moore. No, by Dave Gibbons. It doesn't say Alan. It Moore doesn't on say Watchmen? Alan Moore. Yeah. So then, why did he allow them? If he, hate, no, he, I know have the he hates, no, he doesn't have it. He doesn't have the rights to it. DC does. Oh. But he has the rights to get credited, and he refused to have his name put on him. Uh, so his name also doesn't appear on this. Shame. Yeah. I really liked the Watchmen movie. Not stoked about the show. Yeah. Because that looks like what the fuck. Well, exactly. What the fuck? You don't know what's going, <laughs> you don't know what's going on yet. So give it a chance. Don't, don't. I can't understand what's happening from a teaser trailer. I hate this. Stop that. Stop that. <laughs> you might be right. You might be right. But give it a shot. We'll see. I don't like it when they're like, hey, if we do it differently, everyone's going to be intrigued. Yeah. Well, it's not a retelling of the same story. Anyway, Neil Gaiman also wrote some Constantine, both in Sandman and Books of Magic, which, by the way, is very Harry Potter. (laughs) Also wears glasses, little kid, brown hair, wears glasses, learns magic. But he learns it from several different teachers, and one of those teachers is Constantine. That's all the writing credits. (laughs) Starring Keanu Reeves, Rachel Weisz, Shia LaBeouf. Cannibal Shia 
actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> Jaiman Hansu, who Tilda Swinton, Peter Stormara, and Gavin Rosdale. Uh, I might just say Peter Stormare because that's the common way to pronounce it, but it's not how he actually pronounces his name. Kelsey, what happens in Constantine? A man who has the ability to see demons among us tries to kill as many as he can because he wants to win his way back into heaven, which he lost when he tried to commit suicide when he was a child because he could see demons and he thought he was crazy. Not even talking about Rachel Weiss's character at all. What's going on with that? She's None kind of, that. of the worst part of the movie, so okay. Fuck that. All right. All right. All <laughs> She's right. really the only part that's like, God damn it, why am I watching this? <laughs> I always forget about the middle part where it's just the two of them, and I'm yeah. like, ah. <laughs> but like the beginning and the end are so good that I always forget how how much it drops in the set in the middle of the film. So should people watch it? Yes. Absolutely. The beginning and the end are so good. Yeah. I love the whole Constantine character. I love the people he like interacts with. I love the demons and the angels, and I love the lore that's going on here. And then there's Rachel Weiss. <laughs> I didn't think she was that bad. I don't think that she's a bad actress. I mean that her character and her storyline sucks. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right, well, you can take our advice or leave it, but when we get back, we will talk about 2005's Constantine. I've seen hell blaze through these streets. I walk between two worlds, our world and the underworld. Constantine. As long as I can remember, I could see things, things humans aren't supposed to see, things you shouldn't have to see. I can feel it. Something's coming. What if I told you that God and the devil made a wager for the souls of all mankind? I don't believe in the devil. He should. He believes in you. I need to see what you saw. You see them. They see you. You don't want to know what's out there. This is Constantine. John Constantine. All right, Kels. Tell us how Constantine starts, would you? It starts with telling us about the Spear of Destiny, and it has been missing since World War II. And we see these two guys, I assume they're in Mexico. They're scavengers in Mexico, yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of them, named Manuel, finds the Spear of Destiny. And at first, the friend is like, what's happening? What's happening? And he just watches his friend walk out into the middle of the road. And a car speeds up and hits him. But it's the car that crashes, not him. He stops the car. And he has obviously changed. That's no longer Manuel. (laughs) Right, yes. And then cut to Los Angeles, and we see a young girl has been taken over by a demon. Yes. And John Constantine is called in by a guy he works with, Father Hennessy, who is played by... Pruitt Taylor Vince. Who you know from Identity and what was the other movie he was just in? Uh, Bird Box. Bird Box. I think he was in something else, but whatever. 
you know, he's the big dude with the eyes that go back and forth. He calls Constantine in there, and we meet Constantine's uh, driver, who is played by Shia LaBeouf. superstar Shia LaBeouf. Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Should we just, like, pronounce his name differently every time he comes up? Shia LaBeef. Shia LaBeouf. You know what? I love Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> I love him. He had, he had a long-term mental breakdown. Which he laughs about now. Yeah. Which makes me love him even more. He's not a dick about it. He's like, yeah, I was a crazy person. He was just being, he was being intentionally eccentric and and heavy handed in that way where everyone's like, we all see what you're doing. Nobody's impressed or any of that shit. And he laughs about it now. Hopefully he's grown out of that now. In the video for, okay, if you've ever seen that gif (laughs) of... Of Shia LaBeouf, he's in a he's in a, like a tux and he's clapping enthusiastically. That's for the video, actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. I don't know what it's actually called, but he's in that video where they're calling him a cannibal. Like he has a good sense of humor about himself. Oh yeah, I've seen interviews with him where he totally makes fun of himself. He's just like, I was being a drunk asshole. Yeah, no, he's. Very much an alcoholic, and that did a lot of bad things for him growing up. But for some reason, he he maintains his lovability. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I've actually met a handful of people who have claimed to have met him. The, these are not like my close, close friends. Like, I can't judge if these people were telling me honest things about him. But I've met a handful of people that have said they have met him. And one particular story always has stuck out to me. And again, I barely knew this person. I don't know if this is real. She t- said that she was at a club where he was very drunk, which is very easy to believe, um, and would not stop hitting on her. And I, at the time, well, still, I was like, you didn't go for it? <laughs> a, I think he's so attractive. I thought mm-hmm. he was attractive since I was, because he and I are like the same age. Since uh, Holes or what was that Disney Channel show he was on? Even Stevens. Even but Stevens. even but even then, I was too old to watch Even Stevens, but I would still click on the Disney Channel every once in a while. I was like 13 or whatever. And I was like, that kid's really cute. And then I just loved him in all the movies he did, except they never saw the weird movies he started to do, like Nymphomaniac and shit like yeah. that. But so she was telling me, you know, he wouldn't stop hitting on me. And she was like, it was really unattractive because he was like sloppy drunk. Yeah. And like wouldn't leave her alone. And I'm like, okay. Who knows if that's true? But I thought that was interesting. Okay. If we're going to talk about Shia LaBeouf, we have to talk about Keanu Reeves. We have to give Keanu Reeves his due. Well, I was going to. Okay. Well, let's. there yet. Let's. Okay. Well, he's driving Keanu Reeves to this girl's exorcism. Can we talk about Keanu Reeves now? We <laughs> Keanu Reeves, certainly can. Keanu Reeves is incredible. He is a perfect human being, and I love, I love him. him so much. I don't he's, care that he's been in some shitty movies. No, he and he's awkward as fuck. I know where the bastard sleeps. <laughs> but he is the most kind-hearted human being on this fucking planet. And as far as you know, you've never met the man. <laughs> every Every single report about him is positive in one way or another. We all know the story about how shitty his life has been. And we all know about the sad Keanu meme. But the stories people actually have about him are are really great. Like how he gave up a lot of his Matrix cash to go towards the crew. 
so they could get uh, paid more. Like it, He's just a very kind individual. And just yesterday, somebody posted to Twitter. I'm going to read a little brief storyline here to give you a feeling of who Keanu is. This is from uh, user at James underscore Dater. I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce his name. He's a writer for SB Nation. Keanu came to the movie theater I was working at in Sydney in 2001. He was working on the Matrix series at the time. It was a quiet Wednesday morning. Almost nobody is seeing movies. He talks about how Keanu Reeves shows up wearing uh, jeans, a leather jacket, and a horse riding helmet, a full-ass weird equestrian-looking helmet. And it (laughs) takes him a while to even realize that he's Keanu Reeves. He was going to see From Hell, the Johnny Depp movie, interestingly, which is an Alan Moore comic. Yes. This dude was 16 at the time, and he wanted to give him his employee discount, because for an employee discount, he has to sign a paper, and he wanted Ah. to get his autograph. And Keanu Reeves, confused, says, I don't work here. (laughs) And so the guy just brings him up the normal price, and he's like, ah, god damn it, I didn't get his, I should have done something different, whatever. And you know how they're in those little booths, right? And there's the door, and he hears a knock on the door, and he thinks it's his manager. He opens the door, and it's Keanu Reeves. (laughs) And Keanu Reeves says, I realized you probably wanted my autograph. (laughs) He says, so I signed this. He hands me a receipt from the concession stand that he signed on the back. He then casually throws an ice cream cone in the trash can and sees his movie. I realized later that he bought an ice cream cone he didn't want (laughs) just to get receipt paper so he could scribble his autograph for a 16-year-old idiot. Like, that's, he just seems like such a cool guy. He's not a fantastic actor. I am an FBI agent. Sometimes he's pretty great. But I love him. And the one thing I always think about is an interview that I cannot find anymore when he was on Kevin and Bean. (laughs) I don't remember which one it was, Kevin or Bean on K-Rock here on the West Coast said something about how his movies suck and he thinks he's a bad actor. And and his response, he didn't get flustered. He didn't get upset. His response was just a very stoic, you didn't like Little Buddha? <laughs> <laughs> and like immediately endeared me to him. This was years and years, back in the 90s. I will forever love Keanu Reeves. He's so fantastic. So with that said, let's talk about this Keanu Reeves movie. <laughs> Go ahead. Constantine goes up there and he performs an exorcism and when he does it he just says the famous line this is John Constantine asshole this is Constantine John Constantine asshole and he and he kicks him out of the little girl what was happening in that scene was that the demon wasn't just possessing them uh Beeman another character later on when he hears about this he's like oh that doesn't make any sense were finger puppets to them. I just pulled a soldier demon out of a little girl. Looked like he was trying to come through. Yeah, I know how it sounds. Now, we're finger puppets to them, John, not doorways. They can work us, but they can't come through onto our plane. The idea was is that this demon was trying to break through into our world using this girl. When really all they can do when they're possessing somebody is just control them. So something weird is going on. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a note here based on a question I have always had about this movie that Chris and I had a discussion about at the end. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about that now? Does it matter? It doesn't really matter, right? That's the question. I always was under the impression that Kramer LaBeouf was an angel the whole time. Right. So the question is, was he an angel the whole time 
or was he granted angel status after his death? Yes. I'm inclined to believe that he was an angel the whole time because angels are different things than what we know them as. They're they're what they call half-breeds. Angels and demons that can live in our realm are half-breeds. So the whole premise of all of this that he explains to Rachel Weiss later in the movie is that God and the devil, Lucifer, have a wager going as to who could get the most souls. But they cannot take any direct action, which is why God and the devil don't do anything. But their half-breeds, the angels and the demons that live on Earth, can influence people to turn the tide. But no direct action is allowed. So these are, like, different beings. They're not humans. Just like the demons aren't ex-humans who are cursed to hell, the people who are cursed to hell are are tortured by the demons. They aren't, they don't become demons themselves. Just like, you know, if you're good, you don't become an angel. It's this weird thing. So it can't be that he wasn't an angel. That's what I'm saying. I think he was an angel the whole time. That's what I thought. Yeah. So. But it's, it's very unclear. Yeah. Yeah. So my question is, how did Constantine meet him? What is the backstory there? I've always wondered, like, did he just meet LaBeouf and just tell him about all this shit? Or did he meet LaBeouf somewhere in the middle and LaBeouf somehow pretends that he isn't an angel? I don't know. It's very confusing. So there is no actual Chaz Kramer in the comic book. There is a character called Chaz Chandler, and he is a friend of John Constantine. And he is his sidekick. He is his cab driver. So they just kind of have different names and he's been in it since the very first one and they knew each other as teenagers. So th- this character is a di- is a different character insofar as he has a different name and he's more subordinate to him and he's obviously younger. But in the actual comic books the character of Chaz is Just a long-time childhood friend of Constantine's. Constantine goes to speak with the angel Gabriel, who is brilliantly played by Tilda Swinton. Oh, it's fantastic. I don't know if I had ever seen Tilda before this. This is one of probably the earliest performances people have seen her. And it's not the earliest, but it's one of her, her first big ones that people are like, like I like the, it sticks in their memories. Yes. Yeah. And so forever, I will love her for this role, even though she's had some questionable roles over the years. I hated Snowpiercer. I know most people love it for some I, reason. I never got to see it because Kelsey hated it. Sucks. She saw it on without me and hated it. Fucking stupid. Anyway, she's so good as Gabriel. She is there with the... What is he? A po- he's not the Pope. No, he's oh just a God, priest. He's not the Pope. No, he's like the cardinal. Or something like that. He's high up. uh, Yeah. He's not just a regular priest. In the Catholic Church. Yeah. And Rachel Weiss and John Constantine are there at the same time. And she's there to see the cardinal or whatever he is. And he's there to see Gabriel. I assume the cardinal knows who Gabriel is. Probably. That's what I would assume. Mm -hmm. Has a direct line to the angels. I'm assuming what's happening here. And he takes Rachel Weiss over in a little corner so Mm -hmm. that Constantine and Gabriel can have some alone time. Because they're going to talk about some shit that Rachel Weiss can't hear about. Right. (laughs) And and can I just point out, I, I just need to point out 
that this is another movie where Keanu takes part in an underworld filled with all sorts of secret lore and rituals and rules where he is an expert, just like John Wick. Except that this is much easier to buy into. I can buy into the idea that there are supernatural beings among us and we are unaware of them. Mm -hmm. I can't buy into the idea that I'm just walking around surrounded by an entire society. Hey, 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 this is not our opportunity to talk bad about John Wick. This is just a point I was making about how it's it's a similar concept. For whatever reason, we're willing to accept Keanu as being the expert of an underworld society. I don't know why that is. <laughs> also, he leads the resistance in the Matrix. He always leads the resistance. <laughs> That's what he's good for. He's a leader. Uh-huh. Because he's not... His characters are never the smartest in the group, you know? But they're the courageous ones. They're the ones that will do what it takes. Yeah. Despite the consequences. Because <laughs> maybe they don't understand the consequences. <laughs> anyway... I don't want to shit talk my Keanu because I okay. fucking love Keanu. All right. Anyway, we should probably mention Rachel Weiss is a cop. We've already she she's already been introduced. Um, she just seems to always know where the criminal is, and so she kills a lot of criminals, which she feels guilty about. But she's she's a, an expert marksman. She doesn't even need to think about it. She's able to shoot them and kill them. She always knows exactly yeah. where they are. Yeah. Anyway, so she goes to talk to the cardinal. Because her sister has committed suicide. Yes. And it's her twin sister. And she is under the impression that her sister would never commit suicide because if you know anything about the Catholic Church, suicide is a cardinal sin. And specifically, they're Roman Catholic. So much more strict in that sense. Yes. If you do that, you are going to hell. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. It doesn't matter all the wonderful things you could have possibly done in your life. If you kill yourself, you take away the gift that God gave you, and therefore you go to hell. Mm-hmm. Fucked and, up. Yeah. And so she's going to, to see if she can be buried in a Catholic ceremony, and the dude's like, no, you know the rules. And parallel to that, Gabriel and Constantine are having a conversation, and Constantine's like, there's something going down here. Demons are trying to break into our world, like full-fledged demons, not just the half-breeds. Something big is happening. I know I'm going to die. I have lung cancer. It's everywhere. I'm going to die. I need a reprieve. I need to stay on this world longer so I can stop this from happening. And she's like, you're just trying to get more – I say she, but it's supposed to be, she's supposed to be androgynous. You're just trying to get more good deeds under your belt and buy your way into heaven still. Like you're still trying to do that? And he's like, yes. She's like, you're, that's never going to happen. And he asks why, and she's like, because of the life you took. You are going to die young because you smoked 30 cigarettes a day since you were 15. And you're going to go to hell because of the life you took. You're fucked. And we find out later that was his own life. He did commit suicide because, as Kelsey said earlier, he thought he was crazy because he was seeing all the demons and everything and the angels and nobody believed him. And he ended up trying to commit suicide. He was dead for two minutes before being revived. 
Uh, but too late, he already committed suicide. He killed himself. And two minutes in hell, he says, time is stops an eternity. down there. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he's like, I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly what's going to happen to me. So I'm doing everything I can to get out of that. Yeah. But at the same time, he also is like, some big shit is happening. Yeah. And I need to stop this. And Gabriel kind of ignores that. Kind of that. seems uncaring about that. Yeah. Which, I mean... I think at the time when I first saw this was pretty big. Uh-huh. It was a big idea that like the angels don't care about humans uh-huh. or that they they see themselves as above humans. But now I feel like that's a much more accepted idea because of shows like Supernatural and other films that I can't think of at the moment. But like I think that's I think Constantine was kind of the first time I had ever seen that like the angels don't really care. Mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman has a comic book called Murder Mysteries. It's the story of the fall of Lucifer. And it's really, really good if you want to hear, like, a different take on what that is. It's all about angels creating humanity and emotion and what love really is. And is Lucifer actually evil? Or, you know, He's really not. He questioned God. Yeah. And that was not okay. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a really really interesting story. So I'd highly recommend you read that. The thing about Lucifer is that he was just kind of like why are you giving this creature mm-hmm. this willpower like you don't give it to us your yeah. first children but you give it to them? Mm-hmm. And just because he questioned God he fell. And it's like if you really do some digging, why do you think the priests wanted you to learn that? Don't question yeah. us. Uh-huh. You know, like, that's all it is. It's all about control. And I really, like, look, if you're religious, that's great. And I'm happy for you and that you found something that means something to you. But it's just like, think about it. Think about it, man. Think about what originally it was created for. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you truly believe God exists, that's up to you. But think about the men who created the Bible. Yeah. That wasn't God. Mm-hmm. It was men interpreting God. Yeah. Anyway, done. So we have two suicides in this case. Yes. Uh, and Angela, the detective, Rachel Weiss, she recognizes Constantine because she sees him around the station. Everyone kind of whisperingly talks about him and he's always involved in weird shit. So when she can't get anyone to look into the suicide as a potential murder and she can't get the church to to bury her in a religious ceremony, she goes to Constantine and she'd be like, well, I first think you know she something. tries to get into the elevator. That was that's the first time they meet. Yeah. And she's like Wait. going down and he's like, hold the door. You're going down. Not if I can help it. Not, Not if, if I, I can help, help it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Constantine's kind of a dick. (laughs) Uh And then they're arguing over who gets to see the person they're there to see first. And it turns out they're there to see two different people. Yeah. So they've they've had a couple of run-ins. So then Constantine uh, goes home and this dude who he works with shows up. What's his name? Beeman. Beeman. And he shows up and he's got all these fun, all those fun toys. Get those wonderful toys. It pisses me off because he's like, oh, Dragon's Fire. I didn't think you could get that anymore. And then he wastes it. Yeah, I don't think it's a one-off shot. I think it's... Well, obviously there's more, but yeah. like, why would... if You're you saying, to test it. If you're saying it's in low supply... He needed to test it. 
And we needed to see it. We needed to see it is yeah. what it is. Uh-huh. Uh, so Beeman drops off a lot of things, including... Well, he's got a screaming beetle. And uh, he's like, what's with you and the bugs? And he's like, I don't know. I just like them. And Constantine <laughs> says, yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> what is it exactly with you and bugs? I just like them. Yeah. Who doesn't? We don't see this, but he also gives him brass knuckles that are made from gold, blessed by a bishop during the Crusades, and a piece of Moses' shroud. So he wraps it all up, all the stuff up in this cloth, and later on we see him light it on fire. Uh, that is a piece of Moses' shroud, which he'll use a little bit later. But we don't actually get introduced to that. But he's just giving him weapons. And he also gives him a cough suppressant. <laughs> Yes, because he has a horrible hack because he's he has dying. lung cancer and he's dying. We skipped when he went to Papa Midnight's. So Chaz and, and Constantine go to Papa Midnight's. You have to be able to read what's on the back of a tarot card looking card in order to get in. And Chaz can't do it, so he never gets to go in. And he goes and he talks to Papa Midnight and he's like, Papa Midnight, I need your help. I need to find out what's going on. I need to stop these demons. And Papa Midnight is like, no. This is neutral ground. This is Jaiman Hansu, which again, now we have a club, not a hotel. That's a place where everyone on all sides can go and nobody can break any of the rules, which is keeping everything neutral, just like in John Wick. And that's how Jaiman Hansu or Papa Midnight, this witch doctor, stays out of it and gets to not be involved. And as he kicks Constantine out. In comes Gavin Rosdale, Bush's Gavin Rosdale, ex-Mr. Gwen Stefani. That's the lead singer from Bush? Yes. I had no Balthazar. idea what he looked like. Yeah, that's him. He's a very pretty man. He is. Uh -huh. No wonder he cheated all the time. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Balthazar is going to come and talk to him as well and... Constantine's like, Balthazar is here talking to Papa Midnight. What is happening? What's going on? So anyway, we get the scene with Beeman and Angela shows up at his door after Beeman leaves and tells him her sob story. She also like looked at security footage and saw her sister mouth the word Constantine. Mm -hmm. So she knew something was she up. She was watching there. a she was watching the video of her sister commit suicide. Uh -huh. And when she wasn't looking at it, she heard her say Constantine. But when she rewound it and rewatched it, it didn't happen again. Yeah. He kicks her out. He's like, whatever. I don't care. There's bigger fish to fry. Get out of here. And he ends up chasing her down on the street because he changes his mind where they are subsequently attacked by winged demons. And that's when he lights Moses's shroud on fire to send them all back to hell. And she throws up and he's like that. Don't worry. Everyone does that the first time. It's the sulfur. So now she's been exposed to the world of angels and demons. And before that, she says the famous line, I don't believe in the devil. And he says, you should. He believes in you. I don't believe in the devil. He should. He believes in you. Which is normally something you say about Jesus or God. Mm -hmm. So it's a nice little inversion there. So he tells his story about how he can see all these half-breeds. He uh, committed suicide, yada, yada, yada. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, and they go and they visit Isabel, the sister's hospital room where she was staying. And he gets her to 
reveal a way that they would share messages. They would write messages in like fog on the window and stuff like that. And so it's a reference to one of the books of the Bible, but it's a verse that doesn't actually exist in the Bible. And he explains to her, well, in the Satanic Bible, there is that verse. And he calls up Beeman, who has a copy of the Satanic Bible, and they read what it is. And it's about how Mammon, the son of the devil, like the counterpart to Jesus, is trying to get on Earth so he can claim Earth as his own kingdom. And he needs two things, a powerful psychic and something from God. That's where the Spear of Destiny comes in because it has the blood of Christ on it. The Spear of Destiny is the spear that that pierced Jesus's uh, stomach on the cross, uh, in his side, I guess. Uh, some people say that's what killed him. Others say he was already dead, but apparently this one dude was like basically poking at him to see if he was dead yet and ended up piercing his side. So it has the blood of Jesus on it, and that's one part of it. And Isabel, the sister who also saw things, is that powerful psychic, but now she's dead. What Rachel Weiss does not reveal at this time is that she also used to see things just like her twin sister did, but she repressed it when nobody believed her sister, which was a great betrayal to her sister. And her sister never got over it. Her sister ended up kind of losing her mind, and that's why she was in the hospital in the first place. You skipped that John goes into hell to look for the sister, which is how he discovers that they were twins. Yes. And when he does that, I've never understood what he's supposed to be doing. He sits in a chair. He puts his open feet into his feet without shoes or socks, puts them in water, and then holds a cat. And the joke is that cats are half in and half out of hell anyway, right? Well, it's more like life and death, yeah. I don't understand how that puts him in hell. So he needed something of hers so he could locate her in hell. And the cat is both a connection to Isabel and a connection to the afterlife. Why and is- the water helps lubricate the process. It's a, it's a universal conductor, just like it conducts electricity. It, it allows you to make the passage easier into hell. But how does he go to hell? It's, it's an ability he has. It's part of his vision. All he's doing basically is he's using this familiar and he's basically possessing this familiar to see into hell, which is something cats can do, apparently. And then he sees her. He takes back her wristband from the hospital. And so that's how they know he knows we need to go to the hospital. Yes. Oh, he has this fun little uh, Christmas ornament full of holy water that he smashes against his chest in order to get him back into the world of the living. And there's some really good slow-mo effects. So when he gets out, he's like, you didn't tell me you were twins. We need to go see her hospital room. Which, by the way, why on earth would a state hospital room be empty still? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, no whatever. No way. Whatever. <laughs> um, and he, he explains all that stuff about, you know, God and the devil have a wager. And he's just like, I call it hypocritical bullshit. Yeah. Which it really is. Uh-huh. If that was what was really happening, that certainly would be. In the hospital room, he decides that there's got to be a message left behind. And this scene felt incredibly forced. It did. Because out of nowhere, he starts, like, throwing her around Mm -hmm. and yelling in her face and, like, being like, you know, 
you two knew each other. You grew up together. You've got secrets. And she just keeps saying, no, no, no. And then she's finally like, maybe she left it in the window. Yeah. And it's just super awkward. It it's, is a little awkward. It comes out of nowhere. Uh-huh. It's forced. He's all of a sudden really aggressive with her. Well, see, that's the thing is he's not actually angry. He's just trying to agitate her. I understand. Yeah. But then it's like... It is very melodramatic, yes. Yeah, and she's just like, no, no, no. What would you do? I don't know. What would you do? I don't know. Why did she do, Angela? You know what she did. What did she do, Angela? I don't know. You know what she did. What are you afraid of? What did she do, Angela? What did she do? I don't know! Oh, but we did do this. Why didn't you just say that the first time? Yeah. What is this? Why does he have to push you to think well, of this? Well, because I think a lot of it is she has suppressed everything related to her sister and all the little secrets that they shared, she has suppressed that. Part of that is that's how she got over the things that she used to see when she was a kid. And the other part of it is she feels tremendous guilt over abandoning her sister and letting everyone think she was crazy by pretending that, oh, what? I don't see anything. And so she has suppressed that guilt. And now that guilt is amplified by the fact that her sister ended up committing suicide. So she is like, really really not trying to think about this stuff voluntarily or otherwise but it does not stop the scene from being super melodramatic yes so they're on the phone with beeman talking about this bible verse and the thing with mammon and he ends up getting attacked there are a bunch of bugs flying everywhere i guess ironically i don't know so they rush there and they find him dead with all these flies everywhere and she goes into kind of a trance And she's seeing that things have happened here. And then she, without looking, she reaches down into the grate and pulls out the coin that Balthazar plays with in his fingers. And John Constantine just saw Balthazar doing at Papa Midnight's. So he knows Balthazar. Balthazar's involved in this. And that's how they target Balthazar as their next, like, clue. Over time, because she denied her ability for so long, she lost the ability. Not completely, which is why, as a cop, she is able to find the bad guys Uh without thinking or looking, but she's lost the ability to see demons among her. So they have to reopen that, which means that they're going to send her down to hell. And the way to do that is to fully submerge her into the water, and he's going to hold her down. It's a troubling scene where he's holding her underwater. There's a cute little moment where she takes off her coat and she's like, do I need to take off the rest of my clothes? And he doesn't respond. She's like, John. (laughs) And he doesn't respond. John. And he's like, I'm thinking. (laughs) He's like, no, you can leave them on. And then she gets in and he, she's like, he's like, take a deep breath. This could, this might take a while. And then he, he, he pushes her under gently. And she's just sitting under the water in this bathtub in his apartment. And then her eyes open and she jerks and she's like, I can't do it anymore. I need to come up. And he doesn't let her come up. And he holds her under. Basically, she needs to be as close to death as possible. Mm -hmm. She's struggling and it goes on for a very long time. And then all of a sudden, the tub explodes and the water comes shooting up out of it. That's, That's this psychic power in her reawakening. And so they decide to go after Balthazar. And so they find him in his office building. John beats the shit out of him with the brass knuckles. And then is like, 
here's what's going to happen. If you don't tell me what's going on, I'm going to save your soul and you're never going to be able to return to hell and you're going to go to heaven. And he starts to read him his last rites. And so Balthazar freaks out and he's like, fine, this is what's happening. We, we need the spirit destiny because it has the blood of Christ on it and, you know, all that. Yada, yada, yada. And John's like, oh, and by the way, you need to ask for forgiveness, you dipshit. By the way. You have to ask for absolution to be forgiven. Asshole. Balthazar starts laughing and he wants to know what's up. And he's like, because you brought her to us. That's the other part is we needed a powerful psychic and you just brought her to us. Yeah, and she's she's gone into the building even though Constantine told her to stay in the car. And what's worse is he put an amulet on her to keep her safe. Mm -hmm. And when she took off her coat, the amulet went with it. So Not let's, sure how that worked. <laughs> let's talk about the amulet a little bit. The amulet comes from Hennessy, who he asked to uh, pay attention to the afterlife and all these these this other realm that he gets to hear and see. And he wears that amulet to protect him from that. And so John's like, just here, I'm going to take this and you can you keep it in your pocket. Just keep an ear out for me. He freaks out. He visits Isabel's corpse in the morgue and then all of a sudden he he gets a tremendously thirsty and he can't slake his thirst because no nothing's coming out of any of his containers because he's taken the thing off he's being inundated with all these voices and drinking helps stop right those no no voices. no but but the impulse the immediate impulse why he needs to drink right now is not to get drunk that's why he's a drunk but that's not what's happening right now. What needs, what's happening right now is he needs fluid inside of him and nothing is working. He's shattering bottles and pouring them and nothing's coming out. And it's a pretty neat effect, actually. And he ends up dying. Because he's drowning Because he's drowning himself. And Balthazar's there and he just watches him. And he uh, ends up carving the symbol in uh, of the circle with the cross into his hand. And that's how John gets the clue to move on to the next thing. And anyway, so Hennessy's dead and he gets the pendant from Hennessy and gives it to Angela and she leaves it behind. So since she doesn't have protection, she ends up getting ripped through this floor on this building and he goes chasing after her. And I love that sequence. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And then she gets pulled away. And if you know what's happening, you, you start to notice things like you hear the flapping of wings and you think maybe it's demons, but no, these are feathered wings. And that's going to be a clue for later. So he goes to see Papa Midnight and says, I need to use the chair. And the guy's like, I can't, the bounce. And he's like, stop playing Switzerland. <laughs> I also like that he punches the doorman who has the cards up there. Constantine read what was on the card. And the dude's like, wrong. But it is. We can see the card. He was right. So we know Papa Midnight's trying to keep Constantine out. And so he just punches the doorman square in the face and knocks him out. And Chaz is like, yeah! Because earlier in the film, when <laughs> the they first went to Papa in, Midnight, yeah. <laughs> uh, Chaz was like, will you let me in? And Constantine said, sure, you can get in, if you can get in. And then he couldn't, he couldn't read what was on the card. Yeah. So he's really excited when Constantine punches him. So he calls... Papa Midnight out as being another hypocrite. Basically, if you don't do anything, the balance is what's going to be fucked up because demons are going to take over and there won't be any balance anymore. So I need to use the chair. The chair, it's the electric chair from Sing Sing Prison where tons of men were put to death. So it has a very powerful connection to the afterlife. 
ultimately, Papa Midnight agrees. This allows him to see Manuel carrying the spear all the way from Mexico to L.A. on foot. And he ends up, I think, even stealing a car at one point and etc. So he knows that it's almost here. So they go back to the hospital in this pool area, which is shaped like a cross, just like the window above them, just like the cross on the side of the building where Isabel committed suicide. They're trying to use Angela's body as a powerful psychic to house Mammon. Chaz ends up dropping a powerful relic in the reserve water so Constantine can turn on the sprinkler system, the fire sprinklers, full of holy water and obliterate all these half-breed demons. And what's interesting is that when he does it, one of the demons says, holy Holy water? water? Holy water? And if you look at her, you're going to be like, hey, I know you. You're an actress. Michelle Monaghan. She actually wasn't even credited in this movie. Apparently, she had a larger kind of subplot storyline, and they ended up cutting it out. So that's the only shot you get of her in this entire thing. Yeah, because I was we were watching it, and I was like, is that? Is that Dean King? Is that? Who I think it is. Like, yep, yep, no, that, that's, that's definitely her. And so they make their way into the pool area. At this point, Chaz is killed. They think they've succeeded, and then he gets slammed around the room and ends up dying, which is unfortunate, and Constantine thanks him and all of this. He asks Gabriel to come out, because that's this invisible being that killed Chaz, and he can see her, and he's like... He realizes it's yeah, her. Yeah, it's Gabriel. Gabriel's there. At this point, Gabriel reveals her plans to Constantine. Basically, Gabriel resents humans, just like the story that Kelsey was talking about before. Instead of, like Lucifer saying, they're awful, they're horrible, I'm going to drag them down into hell, Gabriel wants to make humans worthy of God's love. Make them pitiable. Because right now they're not. And so, releasing Mammon into the world to take over the world and subjugate humans will make them deserving of God's love and protection. Because right now, we're just a bunch of angry ants running around destroying God's creation. And Gabriel does not think that that makes us worthy of God's love. So let us suffer a little bit so God has a reason to protect us and value us. So Gabriel's going to help Memon come into this world. And it's the same thing we saw with the other woman who was possessed where the demon's trying to get through the skin. And Gabriel pushes Constantine out of the room and takes the Spear of Destiny and goes to drive it into Angela, letting out Memon. While this is happening, Constantine takes the glass that's around him. Well, first he asks God, I need help. Yeah. I need a favor. Please. Now. And God doesn't do anything. God doesn't do anything. So he goes to kill himself. Yeah, and he takes the glass and he slices his wrists. And he says, hurry. Yes, because people have said this throughout the movie that John Constantine is the one soul that Lucifer himself would come to Earth to collect. You're the one soul he'd come up here himself to collect. So I've heard. Because he's caused him no end of headaches, sending what they call deporting all the half-breed demons back to hell. And interrupting Lucifer's plans. So he shows up. And this is Peter Stormare. He's so 
good as the devil. So good. Apparently, the design, his wardrobe and all that, was his idea. They wanted to put him in, again, like, leather and make him topless and have a dog collar with spikes on it and stuff like that. And he came up with the idea of a white linen suit with the tar dripping from his feet and all of that. But you can still see he has tattoos on his body. This is just the form he takes when he comes to Earth. And they have a conversation. And he's like, oh, man, you are the one soul I would come up here myself to collect. Hello, John. John, hello. You're the one soul I would come up here to collect myself. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, you know, your son is in the other room trying to come and take over Earth. Oh, boys will be boys. Yeah, well, at first he reacts in a way that he had no idea. And then he then he rationalizes it. And he's like, ah, you know what, whatever. Uh, let him have his fun. And Constantine is like, fine. But just so you know, Gabriel and the Spear of Destiny are in there too. Yes. And that's when the devil's like, oh, fuck that. Yes. So because he's like, he doesn't want the balance to be ruined either. Yeah. That fucks it for him, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of ruins their bet. Yeah. So, so now that there is the chance that Mammon could, in fact, come to Earth, he's like, shit. Mm-hmm. All right, Constantine, what do you want? Mm-hmm. You, I assume you want to go to heaven. You want me to forsake my claim. There's no way I'm going to do that. You're coming to hell. And he's like, no. I want you to send Isabel, the twin sister who committed suicide, back up to heaven. Release her. And this is the biggest flaw in the movie. So this is the ultimate sacrifice that needed to occur. Satan says, yeah, sure, I'll do it. It's done. And this is the ultimate sacrifice that needed to to occur to save Constantine's soul. So as he's dying, Constantine gets pulled up to heaven. First, he goes in there and... What does he do to Gabriel? He rem- he tears Gabriel's wings off. Oh, yeah. We don't see that, though. We don't? I don't think. And then he drags his he drags his son out of the body <laughs> and drags him across the floor and all that. And it's like, and sends him back to hell. Gabriel's taken care of. Memon's taken care of. Satan's going to take the body. He's, but then he grabs Keanu's arm. And he drags him across the floor. And all of a sudden, Keanu weighs tons he can't do it anymore (laughs) Wait, what's happening and so this is when he gets pulled up towards heaven and lucifer is like no this is not happening i am not gonna lose you and he realizes the only way to prevent him from going to heaven right now is to allow him to live and not only live but live longer than he would have normally no this one belongs to me no Give him plenty of time to fuck things up for himself and commit another mortal sin and and be sentenced to hell. And so he reaches in under his ribs and pulls out his cancer. Now, that was a clever trick on Constantine's part 
What happens in the comic books in the similar storyline is that uh, he sells his soul to the three lords of hell, which is Lucifer, Beelzebub, and I can't remember the third one. And he doesn't tell any of them about this. He just makes the deal with them. And so when he's about to die and Lucifer comes, he's like, so you know, Beelzebub and the other dude, they also have a claim on my soul right now. And Lucifer realizes, well, shit, that's going to lead to a war in hell. Everyone wants Constantine's soul. And there's no way any of us are going to give it up. And I don't want a war in hell. We have a tenuous peace in hell. And so that's why he takes his cancer away, to keep him alive so there isn't going to be a war in hell. And then maybe by the time Constantine actually dies, they'll figure something out. But that's what happens in the comic books. This is something slightly different. It's a very, this is the end moment where James Franco sacrifices himself to save Seth Rogen. And then he immediately gets pulled into heaven. And then he flips them all off and 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 makes fun of them. And then he loses that scene. You know, he takes advantage of it and he gets dropped back down. Constantine has a similar moment where he flips off Lucifer as he's getting pulled away. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yes, it's it's really funny. And I love it. But the problem is, yes. why the hell wouldn't the devil figure that out? It's kind of an enormous loophole. Well, <laughs> because he's too excited to get Constantine down to hell. Remember, this is the one soul that he's willing to come to Earth to collect himself. Mm-hmm. It's the one soul. So I've heard. That means it's really, really important for him to take it. And he's very excited. And I assume he just overlooked it. Yes, it's a mistake, but it's a mistake a character made, not a mistake the movie made. You really think the devil would make that He mistake? didn't know that Maman was coming to Earth either. He didn't know that Gabriel and the Spirit of Destiny. Right, but those are things he could not have foreseen or known. He's not all-knowing. That's the thing. This is a loophole (laughs) that he should definitely know because it really concerns him. Yeah. Well, this is the one part that God was actually participating in. And I guess maybe he just assumed that God wasn't going to take action. So it's interesting anyway. So Angela wakes back up and they prevented Mammon from coming down. And now Constantine is cancer-free. And now Gabriel is a human. Yes. And Gabriel thinks that she's done her job. Like, uh, don't you value your life? You did something amazing. You sacrificed yourself for somebody else. This is a good thing that I influenced. That's my job, to influence people to do good things. I, I was successful, like totally in denial about the fact that, yeah, you're also just a human now. Um, yeah, and he, like, punches her, and he's like, that's that's called pain. Oh, and her reaction. <laughs> where she's like, oh! <laughs> it's just so priceless. It's, it's really, really good. And that's effectively the end of the movie, but we do see Constantine go to Chaz's gravesite, leave his lighter there and walk away, and then you see Chaz dressed like Gabriel was. Yes. So, so I guess maybe the theory is they needed to replace Gabriel. And Chaz. That's what I was also. So maybe that's the other way that that it could happen. I don't know. Basically, we see Constantine and Rachel Weiss part ways, which is weird. You'd think they'd end up together. Well, maybe they needed to go home and take a bath. (laughs) And now he chews nicotine, nicorette. Yeah, nicorette. Yeah. uh So, lightning round, Kelsey. The Spear of Destiny is the same one that's in Hellboy, which, by the way, is why they didn't call this movie Hellblazer. 
because Hellboy was coming out around the same time and they didn't want there to be confusion. So they used the same prop. They had a very similar name because Hellblazer is the name of the comics. And they ended up calling it Constantine after the character's name, John Constantine. John Constantine, John Wick. Anyway, the Nazi flag that they made to wrap the spear in, they burned it or shredded it or something after it was done because they specifically didn't want a Nazi flag prop hanging around and maybe being co-opted by anybody. So they got rid of that. I thought that that was a pretty interesting little nugget. A cute little conversation that happens between Constantine and Shia LaBeouf. Hollywood superstar Shia LaBeouf. When he gets first dropped off to see Gabriel, Kramer LaBeouf is saying, you know, I want to help you. I want to go in there. I want to do this stuff. And uh, he's like, you know, what am I, your driver? And he's like, no, you're my appreciated apprentice. <laughs> and then Kramer keeps talking and Constantine already gets out the door and he puts his head out the window and he's just like, I love our little talks, John. All right, question. How much longer do I have to be your slave, John? You're not my slave, Chaz. You're my very appreciated apprentice. Like Tonto or Robin. Or that skinny fellow with the fat friend. Right, so... Then why don't I apprentice something besides driving then, John? 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 I love our little talk, John. It's cute. It's yes. cute. Yes. When Rachel Weiss is going to go down to hell to get her powers back, he's trying to explain to her what she's going to see. And he's like, do you understand? And she goes, yeah. And he goes, sure. <laughs> like, you can't possibly understand until you've been there. Roger Ebert gave this one and a half stars. He really didn't like it. It's on his least most hated list or whatever it is that he calls that. But reading his review, there's nothing of substance here, which Ebert gives meandering reviews sometimes. And he talks about weird things, but those things are supposed to be representative of his sensation. He felt throughout the movie, right? And things he liked or things he didn't like, but it's all like down to why would a cop have let somebody drown her? Well, because she just saw demons, Roger. She's willing to accept these sort of things now. Oh, they're supposed to tell you what's on the other side of these cards. What if somebody guesses and is lucky? Like, what the fuck kind of review is this, Roger? Yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. And you know me, I think I said in like our last episode or the one before that, he's really good at writing reviews. And there was one that I specifically asked people to read. But this is a really bad Ebert review. So I just want to reiterate that... The lore of this movie is fantastic. The beginning where we get to meet Constantine, LaBeouf. Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf. The dude with the eyes, the bee man. All of that is so good. The end with Gabriel and Maman and the devil is so good. And then there's a lot of really good sprinkled in in the middle. But the middle really drags it down for me. Mm -hmm. Because Rachel Weiss. Her character is just annoying and boring, and you don't really care about her. Like, I'm just so much more interested in all the other stuff that's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's more about how how her storyline, her own personal drama, collides with this plot to bring the devil's son to Earth. But her in general, and her story in general, is like, it's only entertaining insofar as how it relates to that. Exactly. So... I don't know. I feel like there should have been more work there to make her more likable. Yeah. Make her more interesting. <laughs> Something. They made two of her instead. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the movie, they don't even end up together. 
but like there's this burgeoning romance. Well, I kind of like that. I hate when movies feel compelled to pair people up, like with Keanu Reeves and Speed, where they actually call out that, you know, they say that relationships that start in moments of blah, 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 blah. So I, I kind of like it when movies don't force relationships out So of then them. why have them flirt with each other throughout it? Because it's fun. Are men and women incapable of relating to each other without there being romance? A, a lot of times in films, no, we're incapable of making movies where they don't. Not necessarily that humans are, but filmmakers apparently are incapable of making a movie where that's not the case. And that's why it kind of rubs me the wrong way all the time. And I'm not so upset that they don't end up together, that they flirt a little bit and that's it. They part ways. But if this was an ongoing series, which it never will be, it ended up being a TV show, and then he ended up joining one of the DC shows, they'll never make a series out of this film. Theoretically, her psychic ability and her connection to the afterlife would make her an important feature in this sort of secret underworld. One last thing to add, one last little bit of trivia. Originally, this movie was going to be directed by Tarsum Singh. <laughs> This is a beautiful movie when they like how they do hell, which, by the way, is supposed to look like the immediate aftermath of a nuclear blast. You know, like right when the dust comes and the whole the powerful winds come through and knock everything out. That's what hell is supposed to look like. And the slow motion effects and all the cool, fun stuff they do. It's very well made, but it's not Tarsum Singh well made. Tarsum Singh ended up leaving because... Nicolas Cage was attached to star as Constantine, and he's like, nah, I can't do it with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> so he left, and Nicolas Cage was like, I only wanted to do this because it was Tarsum Singh, and then he jumped out too. How funny. So, yeah, that was just pretty interesting, I thought. So what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 66. Try 46. Wow. Despite solid production values and an intriguing premise, Constantine lacks the focus of another spiritual shoot-'em-up, The Matrix. I'm sorry, what? This is nothing like The Matrix. I see what Just they're trying the, to say. The Matrix has parallels to religion. Yes, it does. It has parallels to a lot of things. And that is just a straight action movie. It's not... This has horror elements. I feel like we really didn't talk about the horror elements. No, but he fights a bug person. He fights a bug demon. <laughs> there's, you know, there's demons that they fight. There's, yeah, he goes into hell and he's chased by all the demons in hell. There are demons that are like humans and then like their face will change. Yeah. And I remember having a couple of jump scares when I first saw it in the yeah. theater. But now I know they're coming, so like yeah. it doesn't scare uh -huh. me. But like there are those horrific elements. But this has, aside from the fact that it has Keanu Reeves in it, this has nothing at all to do. Why would you compare this to The Matrix? Why? I think it's, it's more like John Wick. But John Wick didn't exist when this was made. I know. I know. But they're trying to be like, oh, this is... It's the stupidest. It's one man to save the world. That's yeah, what they're trying to say. Metacritic of 50, cinema score of a B. So people generally liked it coming out of the theater. Overrated or underrated? Definitely underrated. Definitely underrated. But what would you actually give it? I'm going to give it a 70. Okay. All right. I was going to give it at least a 75. I mean, it's not quite like an 80 or anything like that, but... I really, really like this movie. I, I really do. like the character. It's not an insane good movie, but it's a lot of fun. And I will watch this anytime. I could watch it right now. If it weren't for Rachel Weiss's character and storyline. How it drags a little bit towards the middle. And if it weren't 
for some of Constantine's lines and moments being forced. Yeah, where they're like, hey, this is the part where he says something badass. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Then this would be a much higher score for me. Yeah. But unfortunately, it has those things. So that's a but bummer. How more than half of the reviewers that saw this movie came out with an overall negative impression is beyond me. Yeah, I it's don't like get it. They don't like to have fun is, is my only takeaway. Because it's fun, it's interesting, it's intriguing, it's well shot. Like, what's the complaint here? I guess if you were looking for a horror movie, you might say that it wasn't scary enough. Mm -hmm. Which it isn't. But I think that the horror is definitely a subgenre here. Yeah. It's mostly an action drama adventure. Yeah. With horror elements. And that's why it's on our show. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get mad at this. <laughs> I thought there was more horror to it. We'll get more movies like this in just because they are horror adjacent. Okay. <laughs> All right. And that is 2005's Constantine. That's the rest of this episode about lone men fighting off demons. And in actuality, lone men aren't so lone and require the help of stronger, more Power, psychically powerful women yes. to actually accomplish what they're trying to do. Yes. What are we watching next week? It's prom time. It is prom time. Yes. Starting to see on Saturdays, if you go out at like five o'clock, you're starting to see girls in their dresses and yeah. taking pictures and stuff. If you go somewhere pretty or you go to a nice restaurant. Yep. The past couple of weeks we've been seeing that. So we're on to prom week. Um, and we're only doing one week of it this year, so. And it's somewhat of a recommendation. This was totally already on the list. It was totally already going to be there for prom night. But then the Chickapedia said she wanted to watch it. And I'm like, cool. Good. Two birds. With Two, one birds. Stone. Two birds. Two um, birds. So the first movie we're going to watch is Night of the Creeps, which I've never seen before. Listen, we saw it. <laughs> <laughs> We, I had never seen it before. And never seen it. it. I don't know if I'd ever even week. even heard of it before. And it was so good. It was really good. I'm really excited <laughs> to talk about it. Um, but the movie that is up next that we have not yet seen that the Chickapedia wanted us to also watch is Tragedy Girls. Which is? I don't really remember, but I'm pretty sure it's about prom and they have to kill a bunch of people. I don't remember. You explained the premise to me once, and I thought, oh, that sounds neat. <laughs> so I'm excited to see it. I just can't think of what it is off the top of my head right now. I can't at the top of my head either. So thank you, Chickapedia, for uh, throwing in that recommendation uh, for prom week. And thank you to Brian for recommending Rawhead Rex. Thank yes. you very much. Yes. Until next time, you can always reach us at our website, podcemetery.com, our Twitter, at podcemetery, our email, podcemetery at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe in your podcatcher of choice. Five-star written reviews are always the best thing you can do there. Beyond that, share us with your friends. That's even more helpful. And beyond that, listening to us in the first place is the best thing you can possibly do. We thank you very much for listening. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Kelsey, before we go, any last words? I guess there's a plan for all of us. I had to die twice just to figure that out. I don't
You don't need to fucking shame me, Kelsey. Jesus. But he will draw. They give him something to occupy his mind. And he draws. This one goes out to the one I love. Occupy my mind. Sorry. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh. It's R.E.M. Anyway. <laughs> well, I got the reference. It took me a while to understand why you were making it. <laughs> Holy Jesus Christ. Fuck, what was it called with Ernest Borgnine as the goat devil? Oh, he's peeing on the priest. That is a piece of shit monster. Uh, nobody wants it. I want it, Carpenter. Nobody wants it, Carpenter. Give it to me, Carpenter. No. Give me. Anyway, nobody wanted it. <laughs> Stop that. Stop that. I love the whole Constance team story. Hold on. Say that again. All right, Kels. Are you alive? <laughs> yes. I'd like to point out a little thing I noticed. I have no idea who was intentional at all. But so after he says this is John Constantine asshole, we get a uh, cut to um, Chai LaBeouf. And he, he looks up to Constantine. He wants to be Constantine. And in the mirror, he's talking to him. He's like, this is Kramer asshole. So his last Chaz name is- Chaz Kramer. Yeah. His, his last name is Kramer. Okay. Yes. Little thing, little tiny thing. But then, like, the very next shot is when this demon that Constantine knows named Balthazar shows up, and he immediately says, Balthazar. Just like the way Seinfeld oh, says, Newman. Hello, Newman. <laughs> like, I'm just like, hey, is this like the writers putting in little, like, it nods the, to Seinfeld? It wasn't the next shot, it was minutes later. <laughs> anyway. Is this something I noticed? Uh-huh. They just kind of have different names, and he's been in it since the very first one. And why do you think they changed his name <laughs> so to So they Kramer? could make one <laughs> Jerry joke? <laughs> I doubt it. Um, <laughs> I want you to send... What the fuck is her name? I keep... Isabel. Send Isabel. I'm sorry, What? Did you want to say the name's Kelsey, asshole? No. 